This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. I am so excited about this conversation with my friend and and best-selling author, number one on the New York Times, Glennon Doyle. Her new book, Untamed, came out um, during this pandemic and has been incredibly successful. It's also beautifully written and heartfelt and impactful and impressive. And I'm incredibly happy for and proud of Glennon for the work that she's been doing in uh, staying strong and a positive and and very present on her social media during this time. So check Glennon Doyle's book out, Untamed. Also, hey, speaking of books, Save Yourself, my book, debut book, little tiny baby book, has been really doing amazing in the indie world. And so I wanted to ask you to please switch to Amazon or Audible if you would like to buy the book. Um, At this point, I think that uh, we have been doing an amazing job supporting indies, such an amazing job that it is sold out most places that it was originally offered. And so if you have an indie that you want to check, absolutely go that road. Um, But I also just want to say if if um, you find it sold out at your local indie, please uh, go ahead and continue to support the book. It really has meant so much to me how many of you are buying and posting about the book. Many of you have also asked, what can we do to help you um, with the success of this book? And that's really it. Post about the book. There was no tour. And that is one of the best ways to drum up support and, um, and awareness. So post, 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 or review it on Goodreads. That would be so amazing. Your help has made this book a success. It is a bestseller because of you. Thank you, Queeros, and please enjoy my chat with Glennon Doyle. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? My name is Glennon Doyle. Am I supposed to say other things or just my name? That's what's kind of fun about it. It's choose your own adventure about, you know, like some people just say their name and other people might um, want to include certain things in how they describe themselves <laughs> or how they introduce themselves. I just mean like it literally could yeah. be like uh, your, who you are as a human in your personal life, who you are in a human in your business life. I just, it's like a... It's a fun I don't feel game. like saying those things. You know what? I just feel like saying I'm Glennon Doyle, and F, yeah. I'm pretty sure about that. Well, I, you pretty are. Sure that's that. that's actually. <laughs> I, watch as I grab my chest. Um, well, some stuff that I can fill in uh, is that you're. I mean, folks are not gonna be able to see this, but I can see that you are sitting in front of a blown up cover of your most recent book, Untamed. Mm-hmm. And I also look at this. Wow. Now it's also on your screen looking back at you. Um, Here's the copy that you sent me. And Untamed is... um, Untamed is a book that was released during these pandemic times. I know that you had begun just the very first steps of your book tour and then bagged a bunch of cities because it was an ever-changing landscape. I think you were two weeks ahead of me in terms of beginning touring stuff. So you had done a few things. Um, And the amazing thing, you know, is that the book uh, was a number one bestseller, um, Mm -hmm. is, you know, doing, performing phenomenally, like in in, uh, the print space, in audio, like it's just, it's really been a huge success during the time. It's it's the Reese's Book Club pick. But I guess I wanted to start by asking you, it struck me when I was thinking about today that you're actually somebody who has done a bunch of pivoting throughout your time as a business human. So yes, you had to pivot at the very beginning of a book tour, but I also just happen to know that you're even somebody who like started in a a blogging space and then had to Mm -hmm. transition into, okay, now I'm a writer that writes books 
okay, now I'm a writer that writes books, but I also appear in public. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like for me right now, I'm really struggling with the additional pivoting, even though I'm a person who's pivoted in the past. How are you doing with that? I mean, that's how, now that you, that's how I should have introduced myself. Dory, <laughs> Glennon that, Doyle, pivoter, 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 but like permanent pivoter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Cameron. Not only that, but listen. Okay, so I have three books out, right? Yes. But my first book was about you know basically like how to get well, not it was a memoir. It was how I got sober and created my little family, right? Yes. And then a few weeks before I went on tour with that book, my ex-husband now, my then husband told me that he'd been cheating on me our whole marriage. Okay. So I, right before that book tour. Okay. So I had to go out and do that book tour immediately following that imploding news. Okay. Then my second book, Love Warrior, was about the recovering of that marriage okay the the redemption like it was being touted all over the place as a marriage redemption story right and then a few (laughs) weeks before the release of that book i fell madly in love with abby okay abby wambach who is your wife that has also been a guest on this podcast query yes who is our yes and so Listen, I did an interview um, right before this release where the woman said to me, what do you think is going to happen at this book tour time? (laughs) It's like, oh, global pandemic. It's my fucking fault. It's my fault. So, so yeah, we were on the road and um, it was kind of early on that people weren't making full-on decisions yet it was just like a weird time should we go should we not like it feels weird um and abby was actually the one our whole team was sitting around just gathering what do we do what do we do and she actually was like this isn't the right thing it isn't the right thing um so then i made the announcement and then took credit for that bold leadership decision (laughs) (laughs) but um you know it was kind of cool because I, uh, well, well, first of all, heartbreaking. It really was. And then, you know, I can, I did and continue to walk the line of allowing myself to feel sorry for myself and then shaming myself for feeling sorry for myself because my problems are nothing compared to, you know, the compared to compared to compared to, and also because I run this nonprofit. So who for 10 years has been serving women and children in need. And so now our inbox, like the stories we are hearing right now are so freaking brutal, what people are losing right now. So what I just did is we got home and Cameron, like the book world right now, like, geez, like, are, like what are we doing? Like our books are not even being shipped to people. Like you, if people knew how weird it is to try to have a book, <laughs> to talk about a book right now, um, so I just remember saying to sister, to my sister, who we do everything together, I just said, okay, we're just going to shift to service. That's all we're going to do. We're shifting to service. Like, what do our people need right now? How can we show up? Everyone's in crisis, which is exactly what you did. I watched you and your all of your indie book talks and all of those things that you did are so fantastic. Because I think Thanks. people remember how people did, like what people did. I think when this blows over... People will remember how people showed up or didn't, you know? So that was the pivot at the time. It was just like, all right, like we just, it's, it's like the rest of my life. Like you make plans. Yes. I mean, this is exactly why I wanted to talk to you about this is because, you know, this is something I like really appreciate about you is that you make space for the emotion while also then being like, but clearly the logical decision is this. Like I've heard you, you know, say this sort of thing again because you and I have also toured together a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, we did a couple tours together where you were the headlining person, and then I would do stand up. Um, and it was the actual structure of this tour was was such that 
uh, we would be on stage with each other the whole time. So that is a that is in my life that is uh, unique. I've never had that experience outside of this tour, and so I would get to watch you um, like from behind while also watching the audience watch you. Fascinating, incredibly fascinating. So I just thought that maybe just to begin the conversation, you know, like I thought I needed to hear that, but I also thought that maybe some other folks would need to hear somebody speaking about. You know, that moment that you took there where you're like, and this is how the this is how I felt, but then this is what I did. Because mm -hmm. I think right now that does seem, you know, I keep hearing people say things like we're all in this together, like we're all experiencing the same things. And it's like, we are profoundly not, you know, mm -hmm. each of us is mm -hmm. in a fun house of our own um, that is like personal to us. And the fun houses mm -hmm. have varying degrees of long lasting effects. You know, like some people are really going to be like phenomenally fucked by this um mm -hmm. and the thing that strikes me as being the real universal truth is that like we all have our own feelings about the loss of mm -hmm. whatever it is during this time mm -hmm. i just knew you would take up some space there talking about your feelings well, i felt like give it to did her did you just ask me to talk about my feelings <laughs> Cameron. Well, that's what I've been seeing you do on the, on Instagram. That's what yeah, I've been yeah, seeing. Yeah, that's yeah. what I've been seeing people respond to. Like, this is not a time. Mm -hmm. Even if people are jumping into making art, that's not necessarily what I see a ton of people doing. So, why do you mm -hmm. find no. value in that? Okay, because first of all, I'm not into the idea that this is like all happening for a reason, and that we should all find the silver linings and all of that. I feel like that message is a little bit dangerous right now. Um, but I, I, I think because of my sobriety, because here's what I feel like is happening. Everything is going on in the outside worlds for all of us. We are seeing all the pain. It's real. People are losing. I mean, we're getting emails from people who are losing their spouses, their parents, and they're not able to say like they're dying alone. They are not able to go to them. They are not allowed to go to their funerals. They're not, yeah. I mean, people losing businesses that they have had in their family forever. People, it's just unreal. Um, and so we are either experiencing something like that or we're experiencing some other kind of loss because everybody has lost something. I mean, we've all lost our lives before, right? Yes. Um, and, and then there's this double thing, which is that, we're we're being faced with this horrible truth of life, which, by the way, has always been true. We've we're that we're like so effing vulnerable, and nobody's in control down here, and all of our systems are broken, and um, we can't really help each other, and all we have at the end of the day is ourselves and the people we love. Like that's always true, right? It's just that we are able we keep ourselves so busy from that truth, right? <laughs> We're like out we're doing all our things that we think are so important and we're we're being busy and busy and busy. And it reminds me of when I first got sober. It's like, you know, we have those little snow globes that we just like keep ourselves shaken up all the time so that the snow never settles. Yes. So we're not left with that shit situation that being human can be. Yeah. Like now, now everybody, the snow, it's like this great settling because we're all stuck in our homes. Yes. Right? We don't have the busyness of the distraction of everything. We're stuck with ourselves. That's what we always try to avoid, right? Is like being stuck with our yes. core, ourselves and all of our neuroses and all the stuff that we didn't heal before because we forgot to and, and all, you know, all the stuff we keep ourselves distracted from. And then as a double whammy, we're stuck with our people <laughs> in our homes. I Christ know. Almighty. I know. Like, and, and I'm a newlywed. All right. We are in the honeymoon period. And still, Cameron, the other day, Cameron, Abby choose ice. <laughs> I, what did I do? I know. I know. I know. And the other day, I said something and she said, what? What? And Cameron, I looked at her and I said, I'm just going to need for you to listen more carefully. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? I don't know. So, so we're left with ourselves. We're left with our people. So all the, you know, little cracks in our relationship or the things that we, you know, don't have to deal with usually are just glaring, like sitting right there with us on the couch. 
right? Some of us have motherfucking children, okay? Some of us are stuck in these homes with various level and ages of children who have also lost their previous life, right? And have nowhere to go and nowhere to be and are here all day. So what I think, now that I've gotten those feelings out, (laughs) is that it freaking reminds me of early sobriety because early sobriety is like the settling of all this stuff that you're not allowed to use anymore to distract yourself from yourself and your relationships and your situation, right? And, And so the good news of that, I think, is that there is certainly opportunity there, right? Because people who actually do face, like let the snow settle in their lives. I mean, that's the freaking beauty and gift of of being an addict is that so many of us hit that rock bottom and get to go through that process of sitting with yourself, right? That's that's what sobriety is. And there, every gift in my life has come from that. Everything, like my much my personality which believe it or not is much better than, than it was before I stopped drinking and my my what my marriage and my art and my entire life is all based on the fact that I I live with the snow settled so I think that there's a lot of changing that's going to happen with people as a result of this time of just feeling their feelings yeah, that's such a, I mean, I think that's such a good, well, you sort of talk about that, that concept of like the snow settling and in a way that then you, you talk about your connection with God in the book, which I want to put a little pin in and talk about in a second. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that, you know, on your point, um, that is really, God, I mean, fuck, if I like really think about it, that is what happened when i went through the my separation um that then led to divorce is i had really built this like firm understanding of self that involved and these are my friends and this is what my job looks like and i go to this place to do this thing on this day and this is who my dog is you know and i mean let alone obviously this is who my person is which is the most fundamental one but i just mean the all of the stuff around it was so sort of um firm i really think that my trauma response to being rejected by like faith friends and family when i came out was to sort of try to like you know freeze butter around me so that it was like solid forever Mm -hmm. like okay yes Mm -hmm. i've been rejected and everything went away but that will never happen again and here's how i'll do it Mm -hmm. like um i'll put myself in the public eye and i'll like make sure that i have friends that i like am so you know solid in and checking in regularly and i'll make sure that i know exactly who i am and it's like that I'm sort of famously that person, you know, um, like mm. I'll really Han Solo and Carbonite <laughs> my experience. Like I will make it firm, you know, and yeah. it turns out we actually don't get to have that power. And that's sort of what I was thinking about when you were at the beginning of this also talking about, um, you know, this, the revelation of this being like, oh, this is always what's happening, you know, but for me, that was like the biggest stripping away was you know, one day I was like, well, this is what every day will look like till I die. And then the next day I, that was not, that was clear to me that that wasn't true. And it was really just the like walking, like stepping into that and having to like, oh my God. Okay. So I am not who I am by the web I've built around me to hold, to hold me. That web is like, Mm -hmm. um, well, what I also found out is that the web actually needed to be bigger like that the problem wasn't that I had like invested, but that I had, I needed to invest in more different types of people who understood different parts of me and then take more stuff to a sort of private sphere sphere and less stuff to a sort of public sphere. Make sure I like really, you know, called people on the phone. Like you and I have spoken on the phone and that is like, like 
that sort of, I, I'm going to make sure people like really know who I am. Cause it actually turns mm -hmm. out it wasn't that I like had a web. It was that my web was like too unyielding and it was actually too small. Um, mm -hmm. And so I've been like really shifting on that. That's the biggest shift for me. And it is so fucking uncomfortable. And then you're going to, so you're going to tell me that like, after I learned this lesson, you're going to make me learn this lesson again and again, the universe, which is also sort of what I heard in what you were talking about with your books. It's like, okay, I fucking get it. Like, I like, I, I already had the experience on the first book, on the second book. Like, you're going to make me learn it again? But I mean, I no, guess I'm so. just hoping, Cameron, Cameron, I just think that you are, are smart. And I think the universe is going to understand that you got it <laughs> the first time. Okay? I truly believe deep in my heart that that is the case. I think I think I just was slower. I think I was slower. Um, but I will tell you that there does seem to be this repetitive idea for me or pattern of learning over and over again that there really is no solid ground. You know, like that that there's something about like it's it's all like you can build you can build whatever you want but you just have to like not you have to understand that you're building a freaking sandcastle <laughs> okay you're building a sandcastle and it can be really pretty and really whatever but the tide is coming like, yeah it's coming and you can't live in the sandcastle like you have to be the builder and understand that the tide will oh. come right like you're the builder you're not the castle <laughs> Is like that scene from League of Their Own when he's like, how it works is the train moves, not the station. Yeah. Like, we, <laughs> we can't be the station or something. I don't know. Maybe that metaphor breaks down there. But, um, but then, I mean, there has to be some things we, we hold on to. But then even in a relationship, like, like here's Abby and I, I mean, we're, we're not going to get, we're, we're, we're solid. We're staying with each other, right? Like, we're going to stay, even though the ice chewing and everything. But. Our, our relationship's changing. Like, it changes all the time. Right. Like, she's the first person I've ever been in love with, ever. So when we fell in love, I didn't understand what was going on. Like, I thought Cameron. And now, I mean, even in your book, like, even in Save Yourself, like, when I read certain things, I was like, oh, okay, yes, it is true. Other people go through this magical Disney freaking. I thought we were the old. I thought we were Juliet and Juliet Cameron. Like, I thought nobody in the face of the earth had ever experienced this sort of situation we had going on. Right. Um, and one day she said something, Oh, I know we were talking about how we were going to get married, like how the wedding was going to go. And we started talking about going to Vegas to get married. And she said to me, we have to be careful because our brains are lit up like Christmas trees right now. And I was like, what the fuck did you just say? Like, what, what? Our brains are lit up? Like, she explained to me that being in love was like an actual chemical scientific situation. Right. Like, it was devastating. <laughs> to the, like, I'm a poet. <laughs> and this woman told me that basically we were on drugs. Yeah. Like, so, and, and I remember saying, so, so what you're saying to me right now, is that this part, and she said, she was like, honey, there's just parts, okay? We are in the first part now, and it's going to change, right? It's going to change. And, she, and she's like, I've never had the next part. Like, I want the next part where this all changes. And, we, and I said, okay, so, so you're saying that this is going to change, and we're going to love each other less. And she said... No, what I'm saying is this is going to change and we're going to have to love each other more. Look, friend, I what? relate to what you're saying so much, <laughs> but I, I want to stop you for a tiny second because, you know, of course I know what you're talking about uh, because there was a moment for me and you, like you said, it's in the, it's in the, it's in save yourself and, um, mm -hmm. and I've heard you describe this moment. I know this moment, you know, and I, I think something I just want to acknowledge that that is super interesting to me is like because of the specificity of of 
your where you came from as a as an artist you know somebody who started in a like talking about parenting from a like christian heterosexual perspective I have seen the audience that you draw, and it is a really different audience than self-selects to my shows. By the way, like, I do really well with your audience. I'm sure you do really well with my mm -hmm. audience. It's just that, like, we actually don't get to pick who buys tickets to see us. Um, that's, that is a really interesting part of thinking about this book coming out untamed and, like, thinking about you being, you know, more public with your uh, relationship with Abby, even during this time, because it's like so much of what you're showing is uh, sort of your house household right now. Mm -hmm. um, and you just have this audience that like, I, again, that's who I started. When I started in stand up, you know, you start like, you start with everybody. That's who I started with was sort of a, mm. a straight audience or whatever. But there, But it wasn't necessarily as dominated by women because comedy self-selects male mm. a little bit. Um, I guess I just, what you're able to do and who you're able to bring in is fascinating to me. I'm wondering like how much you think about that. I'm sure it's a lot. Like who you are talking to might actually be mm -hmm. different than who I'm talking to. We have different mm -hmm. um, readerships and mm -hmm. you know, you saying, that story it's like i can so relate to it maybe some straight women have never heard that before that are buying tickets to your mm -hmm. show because they they're mm -hmm. somebody who identifies as a christian and they also love that you're funny and fun mm -hmm. what is that like as a responsibility yeah, how well, often is that in your mind oh constantly i mean it was certainly in my mind right before love warrior came out and mm -hmm. i told my team that i was gonna announce that i was leaving my husband and marrying abby and everyone thought that, I mean, my, my team, a very important per person on my team turned to me and said, you can do this, but this will be career suicide. It will be over. You, you can't, this, they will, they will not accept this. Like this is, so, um, so that was interesting. I mean, I just had this serious hunch that that was not true, that, people are a little bit better than we give them credit for. And that, I mean, not fundamentalist Christians. They're not necessarily better than we give them credit for. <laughs> Heard. <laughs> right? I, I'm serious. Like, I'm not, I'm, I mean, you know, you know. But, like, the, the freaking, I mean, Cameron, after that time, there were entire, like, I would open up the internet and there would be, official like whatever this means like official letters of entire denominations excommunicating me from their denomination publicly but like i wasn't even part of their denomination like i felt like kramer from seinfeld where he's like you can't fire me i don't even work here yeah. like what is happening <laughs> right so so there was some of that but um i don't know what what i feel like with my audience that sometimes makes me sad is how long and involved I've been in in uh, anti-racist movements and how freaking white my audience is. That sometimes surprises me. But then I always think, okay, it's not my job to get black women to listen to me. It's my job to get white women to listen to black women, <laughs> right? Yeah. So then I just try to use that time to like point to other people. But um, yeah, I mean, my audience is largely, uh, I mean, Abby calls it soccer mom land, <laughs> you know, which, you know, those women have a, a, a serious place to, to play in this um, world and they have been relentlessly supportive of me and Abby. And, and what sometimes I think it's so interesting because sometimes I think the best work that Abby and I can do in that lane with my people it's never like my speeches or my activism although that helps it's like me showing little videos of abby and i cooking it's like everyone's like oh my god that's like us <laughs> you know i do know <laughs> so actually wild. i really know i really really know, know from you know lived experience i i uh, too have have wondered the same thing Back for another game. 
You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I guess I want to ask you about how it would feel emotionally. A couple years ago, I took a photograph of, there was these, there were these dudes in my neighborhood, my old neighborhood, who would put up a nativity set, one of those plastic light-up nativity sets. It had two Josephs because they were gay dudes. I, lo- I took a photograph mm-hmm. of this. I put it on my own Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. And it went viral on Facebook to the degree mm-hmm. that the Archbishop of Rhode Island put out an official statement about my photo and how it, um, you know, disparaged the Holy Family. And I, I just like, first, in some ways, this was actually like appreciated because I had not been going to Catholic services. You know, I had not been, I assumed correctly that since I had been checking, like, look, I would look back, I would look in, you know, checking at the Pope. Okay, he's like a little bit okay on environmental issues. Does he think women aren't people still? Yes. Does he still right. think I'm inherently going to hell? 100%. Okay, well then, like, yeah. just checked in, and then I popped back out. So it was actually helpful to get this direct statement so that I could remember where the church's priorities continue mm-hmm. to lie. Like, great point. Like, on the, on the list of yes. priorities, like, this is, you know, this plastic light up nativity has to be up there amongst the top yes so i just felt like fantastic um but it hurt me personally because i'm like cheat like i'm just like this is like ah like i'm still a person that took a photo i was excited about so how do you like as a human how do you hold that space for that how do you like how do you hold space for being excommunicated by denominations you're not a part of what do you do with that? <laughs> well, I mean, you know what we do. We do human. Yes. <laughs> like, what the fuck? We do therapy. Yes. We do yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There, listen, here's some good news. Let me tell you this news, okay? Since the day Untamed came out, it has been number one on Amazon in Christian self I did see this. <laughs> I don't care about anything else. All I do is check Amazon relentlessly to make sure it's still number one Christian self-help. Okay. So I don't know what that's about. It makes me so excited to think of all those Christians just buying the gay book. I don't know. It's hopeful to me. And if nothing else, it's completely hilarious. But I think like, look, Abby and I have this thing going on where it's like, do we hate religion? Do we love religion? Do we hate faith? I think we actually really, really both deeply have this weird faith. Um, but it's like, it's like you have this, you have this thing inside of you that's like a spark or like this thing that swells inside of you that has something to do with god or the divine or i don't know it's something that's just bigger than you and then when you're little you go to religion it makes me feel like it's like it's like having an artist spark inside of you and then going to a class where somebody sits you down and they're like color inside these lines and if you don't color inside these lines you will be hurt and i will smack you and i will shame you for the rest of your life and that is art (laughs) (laughs) right yes so then so then after a while, you're so traumatized and you're so shamed and you, you have been so mistreated that you think you're not an artist. But you were, not, you were always an artist. You just got this really horrible, bad class on this shit. And, that, and these people that were teaching it had no, I, 
feel what they were talking about. And like, for me, the fact that I'll tell you, this is what I think is inexcusable. Okay. I find it completely inexcusable that any parent with the level of consciousness we should have right now, okay, would put their children in those sort of shaming, traumatizing, religious experiences. That is something that's very hard for me to stomach as a mother, as a human being. Um, and, the, and, the, and the funny thing is, you know, since I'm in this space of like um, the Venn diagram of like faith person and um, whatever I am, like in a same gender marriage, I don't know what I am actually. But um, people write to me all the time about these, you know, their kids coming out and they've been in churches and they've been in whatever. And they're so sad now because their kids have been listening to this shit forever from the pulpits. And then they come out. And it's too effing late. Like, it's too late to wait until your kid is or isn't. So then what? You go and try to, you know, real quick bandage up the scars that this kid has been suffering with alone forever. It's too late. I mean, you can try. But, like, those God wounds, they take forever. I mean, Abby, so for a while, we figured out maybe, like, a year ago that okay how do i explain this abby's like furiously mad at a god she doesn't believe in yeah which is a difficult place to be yeah (laughs) right so which which i was trying to like dissect with her the idea that if you're really furious at something you probably have some idea that it exists right Um, and so what we figured out is that she, at a very young age, she, as a little gay kid in a Catholic church, she felt like she was given a choice, right? That she could choose God and church and her mom, or she could choose herself, right? And she chose herself and her selfness. Keeping her selfness has required her to spend her whole life saying, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you to God, right? That is, I'm proud of her. Like, that is what it took. And But the thing that I think is true is that I don't think that at a young age she chose herself instead of God in church. I feel certain that she chose herself and God instead of church right? That she was unbelievably wise and spiritual at a very young age and figured out, actually, this church stuff is horseshit and I'm going to die if I believe in it. But I just feel like there's a difference between believing in church and believing in God. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I ask about this because I hear, especially since releasing this book, but like, I just hear about this anyway, because it's, I do talk so much about the, um, you know, the fact that I wanted to be a priest. And one thing that, that, that strikes me as always strange is when I will post something sort of about maybe a little bit more in the category that you're talking about of like, um, it's a spirituality thing. It's like a spirit thing. And, um, invariably, someone will in the comments put um, like direct folks to a denomination or a church that they, that they think supports queer folks or that they experience as supporting queer folks. And um, I have to remember like that it's not always about me, um, even if it is my platform, because my response to that just on an emotional level is usually just like, get the fuck out of here with this. Like for mm-hmm. me, I am not able to be there. I'm, I felt so hurt and disappointed when I saw that the, the faith that I was like, not just like raised in, but like committed to as an access point to the divine was actually a corporation that mm. seals its wealth through patriarchy, colonialism and abuse. I was literally like, wait, what? Like, and I get 
that some people always knew this. Like I get that some people knew this about the church the whole time. For me, I literally was reading the you know documents as a theology major, and I was going, wait, like literally, like wait, what? You know, like it would to me, it was a full stop, um, shocking moment. And so I just have this sort of, um, you know, I just don't think. Like, I'm not there yet. Maybe someday I'll be there, but I'm not there yet where I'm like, I just, every denomination feels like a fucking Scooby-Doo villain where I'm like, just the masks are going to come off. And that's not, that's not, there are queer people who do the work. You know, there are people I trust who do the work, who are, who work in a pastoral sense. That for me, that is not, I can't, I cannot go back there um, right now. And it's fucking done for me. Well, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. And I have no idea whether my um i my whether that will change yeah you know i'm open to that changing but i also feel like i know too much (laughs) (laughs) that's i mean that again i hope i actually like please make me wrong on this please present you know not you but the universe please present you know the thing but i but i don't but it's just not there for me right now i also want to because I just keep taking little notes on things I want to make sure to cover. Okay, so we got God a little bit. Well, I'm sure we'll come back. Mm-hmm. We but got God. It's, we know, we know it's it. part. Yeah. It's actually part of all of this. You were talking about the feeling of um, the drugs involved with uh, love, and you know another thing that I have said for years because people will ask me like they'll try to talk to me after I'm on stage, um, and I have to say to people like I'm very strange right now. I am on drugs i'm experiencing drugs in my body because like <laughs> the amount of adrenaline and like endorphins mm-hmm. that i have currently right like like i'll do a meet and greet after and i'm just i'm trying so hard to have like a normal face be because normal. i just know that i need to like witness this person who's in front of me but i'm like absolutely jumping out of my skin and mm-hmm. you know as somebody who like you have such a strong presence on stage. You're so good at it. Is that something that you thought would be part of writing for you? Like, did you think, and then this will lead to I'm on stage? No. And I'm going to tell you, Cameron, that it thoroughly pissed me off at first because truly, and and I've I've talked to other writers who feel kind of felt this way. Like it feels like a Scooby-Doo thing. Like you think you're a writer, but here's actually what you have to do. Like, so Truly, what? Uh, well, you know, I'm a serious introvert. As a matter of fact, on day 20 of quarantine, Abby turns me on the couch and goes, "Has your life changed?" Abby? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. So I really, when I found writing, and when I found writing that could happen on the interwebs, mm-hmm. I thought I had found the magical thing. Right? Like, here's the thing where I can actually be honest, it felt very much to me, the way that I wrote and, and, and elicited responses from people felt to me kind of like an A meeting. It was like an A meeting I could do at home. Um, it felt safe. Um, I could talk about, you know, like the importance of community without ever having to get together with anyone. And then this thing happens with writing and I don't think it's always been a thing but it was um no no no. now you've got to go become a commercial for your book like you are now a commercial for your book it's nice that you made that thing but that was just the first part of your job and now you have to become a commercial for the art you made which by the way is a whole different skill set yes right it's it's like you're a baker and then they're like and just real quick you have to be a navy seal (laughs) like they're unrelated (laughs) and require different (laughs) constitutions okay uh yeah yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so what you have to do, anyway, so Cameron, I think I told you this story before. I but... do think I know what's coming next, but I would love to, I would, I think okay. the podcast audience needs to hear it. Yes. Continue. Needs to hear that for my first, maybe 10 speaking engagements, I made my sister sit behind me <laughs> in a chair on stage and say no words <laughs> and say nothing. And I never explained what she was doing <laughs> so Cameron I still have people come up to me and be like you're so you're so good at this now like I I came to see you once and there was a woman on stage and it was like it was so weird it was like we were doing a panel but only one of us <laughs> <laughs> so I 
So I'm just telling you that story to explain how stressful it was for me, you know? Um, and slowly I just started doing it the way I do everything else. Just like, well, first of all, I figured out that I didn't have to do like a fancy version of speaking. Like I didn't have to do the thing where I stand up and I say a speech. Okay. I can't do that. You, you've seen me. I can't speak while I'm standing. <laughs> you blow my mind. I don't know how you do it. You walk. You I talk, got standing and speaking. I got, I got it's them too. Freaking crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. I bring a chair. I, I've never spoken without a chair. I sit down. I have to sit. I know my boundaries. Okay. Um, and yeah, I feel like I'm good at it now. It's taken me a long time, but I feel like I'm good at translating my writing voice to the stage. Right. Yeah. Um, but Cameron, it's, if, if you, if someday I'll sit down and show you what I go through to give a speech and it's ridiculous. I mean, I, when I sit on a stage and talk and everyone's like, oh, it's just so impromptu and you just sound like you're so natural. I have memorized every freaking word that I'm going to say. It's pain. That's how I manage my anxiety about speaking. So I write everything out and then I speak the entire thing into an iPhone. And then I listen to all the things so many times. Sometimes, Cameron, I give the thing, the speeches to my dog <laughs> in my bathroom. So I have to do a lot of things to be a freaking clinically anxious motivation feel? Not easy. Can you feel the audience being there on, when yes. you're doing it? I, and. Yeah. It's my church now. When and when you feel that, can you be with them, or like, do you need to be on your own script inside of you? No, the only time that I mess, like, I get really anxious and terrible and sweat and mess up. I guess what I would call mess up, which is just like lose my way, is when I try to stick too much to the thing inside, like mm -hmm. the thing I've memorized. So I have to do the thing where I prepare the living hell out of it and then get on stage and just completely let go of it, which is a very yeah. weird thing. That that actually makes uh, all the sense in the world to me. You know, I asked you a bunch of these questions and it's like, it's funny, it, it does feel it's so specific to being a writer right now, but it also is not because I feel that more than ever before, sort of anybody in any field is being called to do this double duty of like, we also are the brand that's representing the, you know, the, the job that we do um, for, for so many people. And it is very strange. You know, I, I uh, feel this way too, that there's, there's just a lot of extra work in terms of learning that is required right now, because we are not necessarily at a time of, um, specialists were more at a time of everybody has to be a jack of all trades. So even if you are mm -hmm. a specialist, like you, you could be the, um, you know, you have to like, okay, you're a specialist on the pandemic. You actually also have to be good for television, you know, or whatnot. Yes. And that, and that's just true of like of so many different jobs right now. And it, it is something that makes this all very complicated because some of the reasons that we got into, I got into stand up because I do not like to sit down and fucking write by myself. Like, like mm. I want to actually and now, be, and now, now I now. fucking have to stay home, you know, like, and, it, and not just this, but also in the world, in the job I created for myself, because, you know, Cameron, Cameron, I should write our books. Great. <laughs> and you should go Sounds out great. and promote Sounds them. great. Sounds great. Sounds great. Sounds great. Great. You know, when I was, I, I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast, but it is fucking true. You want to talk about sisters? Okay. My, my, I have an older sister who is a lawyer. She, um, mm -hmm. she also is, she's a modern dancer. She was, she, when we, li we lived together in Chicago and she was a lawyer who also worked in corporate America at the time. Um, so like one, and she, and she also had her own modern dance company. So one night, she would also run lights and sound at my first ever stand-up show, which there was like a ladder and then you couldn't even sit up there. It was not enough room for you to have a chair. So she would just 
like essentially beyond her belly running lights and sound. Then she got up the next morning and audited the Federal Reserve is a real thing, you know, like because she she worked at a huge accounting firm. She then made a change in her life and moved into the arts and nonprofit sector. So she now is a high profile um, arts foundation executive. She writes she runs an arts foundation and. Went, and is a lawyer. She's this incredibly impressive person. When I was in grad school, she's a very fast typist. I would dictate my papers to her. I was briefly in grad school. I did not continue. She probably <laughs> would have ended this relationship, this part of our relationship. But I would pace back and forth. And I, she, it, we just, it was essentially what you and I just did. She, she said, you know, like, this part, I can do this part. It's very fast. It's honestly better for both of us. If right. you just if write, just you just have to say the paper out loud and I'll write it. Mm, I love that. That's a good story. A, that is a sister. This is a sister. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, is what it is. Yeah. Um, mm. So, so I wanted to ask you about, because there was a moment in the conversation where you um, like, you know, you were maybe about to use a word to describe yourself and then you like, <laughs> I don't even know, you know, and there was a real uh, tossing up of the hands. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, what is, what is the, what is your feeling there in terms of identity? And, and if the answer is that it's a tossing up of the hands, what is it like to, you know, take public space and manage right. that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I can only tell you things that I know. Um, I don't, I really only understand my every decade of my life. Like I can't live my life and understand it at the same time. I have to live some years and then kind of look back and understand them. This is why I write a book every six years or so. Um, so I'm assuming I'll have some more clarity on this, like next Tuesday. <laughs> it's like coming. I'm sure it's on its way. But um, but I can only tell you that you know, in the very beginning, after Abby and I first got together, all anybody ever asked me in an in interview or, or or my friends or would say, you know, okay, so like, what are you? What are you? Um. And so I used to sit with Abby and say, we are going to figure this out. Like, I need to have an answer. We have to figure out what I am, you know? Um, but I can just tell you some stories. Like, first of all, bisexual doesn't sound right to me because I have to tell you the truth. I never really liked sex with guys. I think I was acting my whole life. Like, I just thought this is as good as it gets, I guess. It's not really my favorite thing. Um, I don't really understand what the big deal is about, but I guess I'll continue to do it because I used to describe it to my sister as like the oil change of a relationship. Like you just have to keep doing it <laughs> so that things oh, keep running smoothly. I, mean, I know. Well, Glennon, there's it's also, so sad. you know, I, I, it is heartbreaking. And I, I just have to say that like, because we, um, I have a bunch of friends who, not a bunch, I have several friends who um, did the marriage to a man, kids, um, and then realizing what's going on, you know, queer story. But I feel like that story is so unrepresented in like uh, queer culture today, like we really don't talk about, first of all, that used to be like the only way we had kids or, you know, whatever we didn't, we weren't able to adopt. We weren't, we didn't, we weren't using sperm donors unless it was like some sort of under the table agreement. Like that's, those were, that's how we were making families was that people were having this sort of relationship. And then, um, and so it's, it's also part of our history, you know, like this is not some anomaly. It's part of our history that we don't, 100% talk about because like folks were so shamed um, and we didn't necessarily acknowledge the living situations that they were in then when they found out more information about mm. who they were. So it's a part of our history. It was also part of our present that we don't talk about very much, which is this sort of um, like atypically represented, but 
not a typical story of like, I'm actually already this person and then I'm also this person. And I, mm -hmm. anyway, I just wanted to say, like, I think that this but is not such I'm a wild story. Because, for, well, first for how of all, it I intersects with our community. Fear. Well, that feels good to me. I mean, I think I have some fear because I don't know how to say this. Like, it, like sometimes how I'm not Christian enough for Christian people, I feel like I'm not, I'm too new to the gay community for like, there's a lot of like, you're not a real one of us, you know? Um, and so I get nervous about how, what words to use and all of that. I mean, I will, I can tell you this story is that last year I was talking to my friend from college and she said, so do you think you were always gay or do you think that you were always, and I said, well, I don't know. I said, I, you know, I always thought that, you know, women were more attractive than men. And I always thought that like women's bodies are much more attractive than men, but like everyone thinks that. And she was like, no, they don't. <laughs> She goes, I don't think that went in. And I was like, what? Like, Karen, I seriously. And then I was like, well, this is why we should talk about serious things more. Okay. Because I just thought that clearly everyone felt that way. So I don't know, Cameron. I mean, I grew up Catholic. I grew up in suburban Northern Virginia. I didn't know a single gay person my entire freaking life. I never saw it as an option. I never, you know, this is freaking weird, but I became really severely bulimic when I was 10 years old, like really, really young. And when Abby went to talk to my mom about proposing to me, the first thing my, my mom burst out crying and she said, Abby, I have not seen my daughter this alive since I was, since she was 10 years old. And all I can tell you, I don't know, but I just have this like feeling that there is a lot of things when I was a young kid that I subconsciously knew I couldn't be and that it made me really sick and really far from myself for a very long time, you know, which is what I, and, and, and maybe this is one of them. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know that I, I also had like, I have that experience I have that, I have the actual experience of, um, using like obsessive um and disordered eating to try to transform the body that i didn't understand because it didn't make sense to me what was going on around me so i understand why that might be a, a read that you have on that because that's a read that i have on my own you know past and and i will also say that it's you know some of what you're talking about this like litmus text testing for you know who gets to be part of the community it's it's wild how um obsessed with that um the queer community is i will just say we are like we are obsessed with i yesterday or two days ago or whatever there was this like new york times piece about a bunch of people that claim butch identity and i posted a bunch of photographs of myself mm -hmm. and it was a, a joke that also where i also spoke about my my own um like i just said butch like i like this is a feeling that i, I feel that way that's a feeling that yeah. i feel and you know you know who tells me i'm um not feminine enough everybody like just be me walking down the street but i post this thing where i say that i'm masculine where like i claim a, a sort of butch identity, masculine identity. And a bunch of people were telling me in the literally first of all, so I was TV butch, which like really made me have like a full gasp. Because I want to say, if you think that I am TV Bush, you should come to Hollywood because um, I'll tell you who's TV Butch. It is like uh who is the most fem is like Anne Hathaway. You know what I mean? Like like <laughs> somebody that's ever eaten a piece of toast like i just mean like our understanding in hollywood of like what makes masculine and femininity is as fucked up as it is everywhere and our insistence that masculine and femininity or that personal history means that we can or can't claim identity is something that we learned elsewhere and then when we mm -hmm. stepped into the queer community, we pause for a tiny second. You know what I'm going to go ahead and bring with me? My need to uh, judge other people and label them. I Because I had that before, 
But I'm gonna go ahead and bring it right in here. <laughs> I just, I just, I just can't leave that at the door, you know. And so, like, I just, I think it's fine. I think it's just fucking fine if you don't have the answer. If you ever come up with the answer and you want to tell me, if it's next Tuesday, you know, next Tuesday, <laughs> full few decades from now, feel free to text. Um, if that feels fun yeah. and helpful. But if you don't have any more information, <laughs> that's fine with me too. Um, I mean, there's gotta be, there's gotta be room for, I don't know, right? Maybe that's a category. Like maybe that's a thing. I don't know. I don't have an answer. I know like that I finally for the first time feel that thing that I thought I would never have in my life. That I thought that, I mean, Cameron, I used to say shit like, you know, love is like a light and some people are laser lovers and I'm like a floodlight. I just love everyone a little bit. Like that, I never thought that I would. So I don't know. All I know is that I am so freaking grateful that I get to have this thing, this love thing, and that I'm so freaking grateful that sex makes sense to me now and that I, that I get it <laughs> now. And um, so I know I'm not straight. That's all I know. <laughs> no, I'm not straight. Perfect. Um, what a response to the phrase, I know I'm not straight, by the way, too. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> um, Glennon, it is almost time for us, for me to send you back into your day. Uh, I realizing I am realizing now I forgot to warn you of this before the thing. So if you need a second, you can let me know. But I always ask our guests to shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you could be who you are today. And mm. if you would like to shout out a queero, um, that would I would love to hear it. Yeah, I would love that queero. You're the best. I forgot that word that you use. Well, listen, this is gonna sound. I mean. I can't, I cannot choose a queero that's not my wife. Like I, what I this is a woman, you know, okay, I'm gonna tell you one thing, and this is one thing that I understand about the resentment of, of people who have been in this community for a long time compared to people like me who like just got here yesterday, okay? Because this is a conversation that Abby and I had earlier. She was talking about church shame or something. And I was like, I just don't, I don't feel any of that. Like, I just feel really confident and free and, you know, I just don't know what, what, why? And she was like, honey, your freedom, okay? Your little freedom that you feel and your shamelessness. There's a lot of people who have been showing up for a lot of decades to earn for you that shamelessness and freedom that you feel right now, right? So. You know, when I think about her being, you know, one of the first out athletes and like, you know, people used to scream at her. I mean, I will start crying thinking about it, but, you know, during her college games, people would just scream slurs at her on the field from the first minute to the last minute. Like it was, and I just, I'm amazed by her, the way that she has shown up for so long. Um, and has kept all of her goodness and sweetness. And um, yeah, she's she's for sure my queer. That's amazing. 100%. Uh, I love that. And you know what else is funny about what you're saying is that I like, I just don't think I've ever said before in the podcast, but like, here's here's what I'm really thinking about. It's like, it's like we have to always, always like look to our queer elders who sometimes might even be younger than us who have done fucking the fight. Like we have to, like, I, I really so believe in that. I also think about this, like, I think about it in terms of politics, you know, it's like, we have to absolutely, in my mind, like, look at the folks who like knocked down the doors to begin with. And then there's that part of like, the person who's just coming in now. And like, of course, like we, I just think we always want that person to acknowledge and know the history and like, you know, but it is also a true gift when people come in and they're like, 
they're a fresh perspective because that those are also the people that come in, look around and go, have y'all ever thought of this? And sometimes it gets very annoying, you know, like I will just say this as me, like I've been like, I just been, I, this is not even, this is not directed toward you. It's like toward like the, you know, like I'm been out for 20 years. I look at the young influencer who's like 15 and they're like, I am the fucking queerest queer, you know, like queer. And I'm like, yo, congratulations. And I can get in my own, you know, thing of it. Like, I don't even think you fucking get it, man. When I was 15, I was wearing Steve Madden's, yo. Like, congratulations that you fucking figured it out. I was wearing knee socks, my dude. You know, like I can get very sort of in the, you know, and I have to just remember it's like, this, this is also the person who's going to teach you about something about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, this yeah. is the person who's and like telling like- me that like, that like gender norms can go the fuck out the window like i didn't hear that and sometimes i have to hear that from the newer person to the table and it just like if i you know if i insist on only looking at our history which i fucking love to do then i'm very Mm -hmm. frequently gonna miss the new information that's coming and that applies to me and helps me i love that i love the end both of that i mean we have it in our house here because our 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 son came up to us did you know that this is a very, this yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Several months ago. Um, and he's just, I mean, Cameron, this boy, oh, he's so freaking amazing. And he's on fire and he is the gayest gay that ever gave. <laughs> and so every, and so Abby's just like, fine, you're the expert. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's part of. Don't ask me any questions. That, Not like I have any life experience that can be of use here. Like that's what it is. And it's so precious and so wonderful and we want it, but it's the same vibe as like, you know, in the, fe- in the feminist world, it's like, all we do is say women are entitled for, to a voice. And then like these 20 year olds come and we're like, they're so entitled. Like, <laughs> and it's like, right? <laughs> it's like, we've been hazed. So we want them to be hazed. But like the, I, the great thing would be is if we just didn't have any of the hazing anymore. Sure. Or um, just be, you know, like, I'm going to just, just for today, I'm going to let myself be so fucking crotchety if I need to be. And then I'll just like use that till it's help till it's been helpful. And then I'll go ahead and put that down. You know what I mean? Like I'll absolutely, I, like I, I will like be that. petty if I need to be petty. If my neighbors are playing mm-hmm. music again, I will put a speaker in my window playing music back at them, which is something I've done during the pandemic. I, I will I do it. it yes, <laughs> do it if I need to do it. Uh, but I, but then after, I will just go ahead and put that down, and I will not continue. You know, just we can. Uh, that feels doable. I like that better. That's good, <laughs> Glennon. It is a true pleasure to speak with you and huge congratulations on the success of Untamed. I am incredibly excited to see its continued success. I know that, that um, this has been a really tough time, but you're, it's been incredibly inspiring watching you represent your project and like really with the passion that you have. So thank you for letting us see that and congrats on the beautiful book. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you. And congrats on Save Yourself. We love you. We love you so much. Yeah. Love you too.